Welcome to the Game Production Podcast. I'm your host, Riyad Jibnili. This is the podcast about the production and business side of game development. How do game studios decide which games to work on? How do they manage them? And how do they market them? In this fourth episode, I'm talking with Philomena Schwab of Stray Fawn Studio. Stray Fawn are a Swiss indie game studio that worked on games like Niche, Nimbatus and The Wandering Village. Philomena is also a board member of the Swiss Game Developers Association and of the Swiss Games Hub. I'm really excited about sharing this episode as Philomena is a absolute marketing expert. This episode is chock full of concrete marketing insights and takeaways that you can apply to your own game right away. So let's get right into it. Hello, Philomena. Hey, yo. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, thanks. You too? Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. I'm excited to have this conversation with you because you are the biggest marketing expert that I know. You're a well-rounded game developer in general, but uh, especially your marketing skills are really impressive. So you are the co-founder of Stray Fawn Studio. Correct. And you worked on games like Niche, Nimbatus and The Wandering Village. The That's Wandering right. Village is still in, in progress. What stands out to me, particularly about these games, is that they all had successful Kickstarter campaigns. They did. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Is Kickstarter a important strategy also for your upcoming games? Is it part of your company culture or how did you end up going to Kickstarter every time? <laughs> Well, the first time was out of complete necessity because uh, we didn't have any funding for the project and we wanted to devote some time to it. So this was one of our only options that we saw at the time. Also, I had a bit of negative publisher experiences. Back when I was still a student, we made a mobile game, had a publisher for it, and unfortunately it uh, flopped really hard. And then I decided that the next project will be self-published. So I will feel that it's my own fault uh, if it fails. So that was a given. So no publisher money for us. So where, where would it come from? All of us didn't have a lot of savings. So yeah, we tried it and we were quite successful with it the first time. A lot more than we expected, actually. We expected to raise $15,000 and ended up with uh, $75,000. And to us, it was, wow, okay, there's a lot of potential in this platform. Not only that your existing fans can come there and contribute, but also the platform itself has quite a community. And also this community reaches a bit outside of the usual game dev and gaming community. And with projects such as Niche, which is very much inspired by science, we managed to bring some people to the Kickstarter, scientists or teachers that really wanted this game to be made, but we're probably not even buy the game once it's out on Steam or something. So Kickstarter has this different audience than a game store usually would have. And we like to include them in the people that uh, support our projects. For the second project, it was very different. For the first one, we had already like a community of maybe two or 300 pretty dedicated people. And for the second game, we had very little time to prepare and pretty much no existing community. So we tried if we can use Kickstarter to build up a following on the fly and just give them an incentive to join in. And we did that with a free demo that we kept promoting on social news platforms, mostly such as uh, 9gag, Imager and Reddit. And then the people who really liked the demo basically came in through there because they had to sign up for the newsletter to get the demo. 
And so we could easily reach them again and tell them about the Kickstarter. The demo also had a Kickstarter pop-up in it. It's also maybe a good idea to just keep doing this to see if there is a market for what we're doing. So if we would just invest all our funds in a game, work on it for three years or so, and then release it and it would flop that at this point, this would still be critical to our studio if that happened and we would maybe have to close. So we decided to adapt stepped development strategy. We call it, we have an idea that we work on for a maximum of a year or so. And then we release a Kickstarter campaign and then we work on it for maybe another year or a maximum a year and a half or so. And then we launch into early access. And from there on out, the game has to finance itself. If it doesn't do that, then we would just finish it up with everything that we promised and that would be it. And if it keeps going well during early access, we can work on it as long as we want, as long as it's profitable, maybe start a side project. We also did one additional step, actually always, already after like a few months of really having worked on the project, we start to share pictures or maybe even a small video on social media to see if there's an initial response to that. And I think with this approach, we've fared quite well so far, and it's very well possible that we will continue to do it like this. So already so many interesting points in there. <laughs> Are you also not using any publisher on the follow-up games? You mentioned uh, your first game not having a publisher. Also, your follow-up titles didn't have a publisher, right? Yes. The second game had a Chinese publisher, but not a global publisher. And the third game will definitely not have a global publisher at this point anymore, since we already managed to build up quite the wishlist ourselves. But for Asia, we're currently looking... If we want to work with a Chinese or Korean or Japanese or maybe all three. So when we go right into the first step of game development, and you mentioned you are using this gated development process <laughs> where you test games step by step. Does that mean you had multiple projects in development before you decided on which one to pursue further? Or is there always one that worked out right away? So far, it's always been that one worked out right away. I think with the newest project with the Wandering Village, we just have a, a very good pitch and a good visual style. So it worked very well on social media. The other two games weren't as viral. Nimbatos was pretty well, worked pretty well too, but on completely different platforms than Niche did. So for every game, you need to test around a little bit on where the sweet spot is. So the Wandering Village has been a side project for already three years, but we only worked on it like one day a week, coming up with the concept and making a few prototypes for it. And then once we really started working on it full time with the studio, after three months or something, we started sharing information about it. And if nobody would have cared, we would have been very scared to, to advance to the next steps to do a kickstart for it. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. So one decision might be to cancel a game that doesn't get any feedback or that doesn't show public appeal. But there's also the less drastic option to adapt it and change it based on the feedback, right? That's mm -hmm. another big opportunity and advantage of releasing marketing material early on. Are there things where you could say the response of the people also directed the game a bit? Yeah, there's one very specific point that changed. So the giant creature in the new game was originally made of flesh and blood. 
And so when you wanted to plant something, you were basically digging open the skin and putting it into the skin and people found it gross. So <laughs> I personally, I found it was cool, but a lot of people were like, no, I, I don't want to do that. And we're like, okay, we're going to see if we can reconcept the creature into something less gross. And now it's made out of earth. There's still gross things you can do because it still has organs. But at least you don't see that kind of stuff in the first 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, it's interesting how such seemingly simple decisions early on in the project can totally define your project later on and shut out a certain set of people just on, based mm -hmm. on a decision that you were not fully aware of, even that it could be problematic. Absolutely. I thought it was cool and everybody would think it's cool, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so before we leave Kickstarter as a topic, if other indie developers ask you about Kickstarter, do you wholesomely recommend them going to Kickstarter or are there certain projects that fit better or not? And are there certain things that you tell people to watch out for? There's definitely projects that fit better or worse, but I think it also has to do just with general appeal. So if your game can't get 10 or 15,000 on Kickstarter with the pitch and the visuals that it has, chances are also pretty low that it will do well if you would release it like this, right? Maybe it, it has the greatest gameplay and then 10 people play it and they tell all their friends and then you have this word of mouth snowball going on, but chances are not too good. In my opinion, I usually recommend doing Kickstarter. I think the only thing that is bad about it is if you have a game and you're looking for a publisher and then you fail the Kickstarter, can maybe make your publisher negotiations harder. Other than that, you can always relaunch a Kickstarter. If your Kickstarter fails, other than maybe the, the slight publisher disadvantage, What's the problem? So maybe only your pride that you have a failed Kickstarter, but nobody has seen it. If it failed, nobody knows about it. You can still release your game on Steam. And I don't think anybody outside of your small game developer circle will even know you have a failed Kickstarter campaign. And what I think is really good also for new developers about Kickstarter is that you have a whole month of time to try out your marketing approach with nothing really at stake. So. You can try all kinds of angles compared to when your game is actually launching on Steam or whatever platform and you have to please the algorithm which will decide how many copies you will sell over lifetime. I think the challenge of releasing a game and hitting, really hitting the spot for these three launch days or something is way harder than running a Kickstarter where you have a whole month. So it's a good playground to test if you have the right approach. I recently had a conversation with Thomas from Kingdom and he also had a failed Kickstarter project <laughs> and it still became a huge success. So that's definitely possible. Definitely. I think one big concern that people have about Kickstarter is the amount of effort, especially <laughs> for a small indie team that can potentially consume your whole development team. How is it working for you? How do you manage that effort? Yeah, I think usually it takes up to one or two months of preparation time for almost the whole team and then another month of running the Kickstarter. But in my opinion, as long as the Kickstarter finances itself, essentially, it can be worth it. Um, 
just the added benefit you get from wish lists also. This is a whole month that you're putting into marketing. So you have a lot of wish lists, hopefully. And the additional benefit of having a community build up early on that will support you. It's interesting how you approach Kickstarter in that getting the money for development is a big part of it, of course, but it's only one factor next to the added visibility, the ability to have this playground for testing, marketing, the ability to build up your audience and so on. So mm -hmm. all of these are big factors, I guess. Don't do too many physical rewards because <laughs> those will keep you busy for months and months after the Kickstarter has ended. Also, what we did for the first time now with the Wandering Villages running uh, Facebook ads. So far, the first two Kickstarters that we did were completely zero budget. And now we had a bit of money that we could spend. I think we spent 20,000 or so, and we got 40 or some, or even more out of it. And we have continued to try and run Facebook ads after this, but we never had such good results, even close to when we had the Kickstarter with the return of investment. So I think just Kickstarter projects and having a nice agency that can run ads for them is a very good combination if you have a bit of money. So did I understand correctly? You put 20,000 in and you got kind of in backers value, you got 40,000 out again? Yeah, pretty much. I wrote a, a detailed article about each of our Kickstarter campaigns. And in the newer one, you see how much we got out of it and which services we used. So maybe we can post the link. Yeah, I will put it into the show notes. Yeah, that's super Perfect. impressive. And then <laughs> based on your advice, I assume you also had physical rewards for people <laughs> yeah we do it every time and then we say we're never going to do it again and then we do it again because it's just too much fun to have little figurines uh, or keychains or plushies for your games it's just too much fun to to design them and have them but they are a lot of work <laughs> basically we design them so we can also have them ourselves yes right? exactly yeah. did you Did you do the fulfillment then in-house, just yourself putting up these packages and sending them out or did you use a service for that? Still working on it. So I have one friend, she makes all the figurines by hand and uh, ships them out. This time we only have like, some t-shirts and some signed sketches. So it's a very limited amount for the t-shirts. We order them right at the service and give them the address. So it's shipped there directly. So I'm hopefully not touching any boxes, but we'll see. <laughs> so you mentioned already a couple of marketing trends that I find interesting. Uh, one of them is your newsletter. Mm -hmm. How does the newsletter tie into your, your demo again and into the Kickstarter campaign? So for the second game, when you wanted to download the free demo, which we heavily advertised everywhere, essentially, you needed to sign up for the newsletter. And with this approach, we gathered 50,000 newsletter subscribers within the Kickstarter month and then another 50,000 down the road for Nimbatus, which has been a very good tool to advertise sales and so on. And we're currently doing a cleanup of how many people are actually opening those emails and so on and moving it to another service. And in the end, I think only like 20,000 people or so are actually looking at the emails sometimes, but I think it's still a pretty good number. Oh, super impressive still. I think we stole the idea of the, 
having to sign up to a newsletter to access the demo from you. Something. I stole it from Landfall Games. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, we're all uh, learning and sharing. Right. In terms of email service for a newsletter, do you have a recommendation? Because they can be quite expensive, right? As you gain such a big newsletter list. Yeah, so we used MailChimp all this time now because we bought credits for $5,000 or something, well, I don't know, three years ago. And so we have been churning through these credits and now we're almost running out. And for a time, it seemed that they would not offer credits anymore, but you had to pay per subscriber. That's when we decided to switch to Sandy. And now apparently they're offering credits again, but it's too late. We're already <laughs> in the process of uh, moving away now. So we're going to see how that will go. Maybe we will come crawling back. <laughs> <laughs> Asking for forgiveness. We set up our own email system. We're using this open source software, Mautic, mm -hmm. and sending emails through AWS. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, it can be pretty cheap. For us, sending a newsletter to a couple thousand people is, costs us as low as one euro or something like yeah. that. Amazon Web Services, you mean, right? Yeah. That's also what is connected to Sandy. Nice. <laughs> so regarding the newsletter, I assume you have a company newsletter and then you use that also for follow-up games, right? We used to have separate game newsletters, which also made it pretty hard to maintain. We are just today, I wrote uh, the email to everybody that we're switching to a studio newsletter. <laughs> 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 so yeah, I think that's a better idea, especially if you move away from one project and there's not many updates anymore there. You can't really keep people entertained. So let's hope they will. We ask them if they will move with us to the new service and to the studio newsletter. I think that's a good approach, especially as you gain more and more followers, you can bring them along with the journey and usually a company has kind of a handwriting in the game. So the chance that people like the next game, there's a good probability for that. Yeah, agreed. So in terms of other marketing channels, I know you're also big on Reddit <laughs> or mm -hmm. you at least you, you used to be. What's the current state? Do, what do you think about using Reddit for game marketing? It's a very double-edged sword. So as Reddit says, be a Redditor with a company and not a company with a Reddit account. And they are really, really serious about this. So if they have the slightest impression you are misusing their site, you're going to get blocked. And so at the beginning, I was more a company with a Reddit account. And now I'm trying to be more like a Redditor with a company. So I really started posting more personal things. And it's quite a bit of a time investment. But then sometimes we have posts that hit really huge, couple 10,000 upvotes and you always feel them in the wish lists. So currently we're a bit of a, in a hiatus, but once we approach the release, definitely going to have some more Reddit posts happening. So I try to only use Reddit when we're faced where we really need the push and otherwise trying to play the low ball, just post some of my balcony gardening pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you don't want to kind of waste the fuel on, right. on less important stuff, basically. Yes, exactly. And when you post there, 
Is it with your personal account or is it with a branded account from the company? I don't even think you should try to post with a branded account from anything there. No company with Reddit accounts. So it's mm -hmm. always from my personal account. It's also a bit scary because this, this is already my fourth account. All the other ones have either been banned or shadow banned. Even though I was sticking to all the rules, um, I gave some shout outs uh, to friends and people called me a paid PR agency. And uh, there was a pretty big shitstorm going on there. And I'm like, I'm out of this account. I'm never coming back, <laughs> starting a new one right away. So yeah, there, they can be quite unfair. I think the moderators are sometimes very random and you have to be prepared that all your work for your account um, is useless if you're blacklisted and you have to start from zero again. But all in all, I still think it's worth it. Yeah, it can be tricky. Uh, I can see that. How do you identify good subreddits to post that? I mean, there are the big ones. Uh, it seems appealing to post there because they, it will gain the biggest reach. Uh, what's your approach there? So if you want to have a really big post that has a really big effect, you can only post in the big ones because it needs to be able to get to our all. That is where the big traffic is. If you don't make it out of the subreddit, even if it's a bigger one, it can be good. It can be maybe a couple, maybe a hundred, maybe 200 wish lists in a bigger subreddit. But if you want to hit it big, then you need a big subreddit and you need a lot of upvotes to make it to our all. I think we have done it three times and it's always very, very good. So we keep trying to do that. We also sometimes post in smaller subreddits, but then you have to keep in mind the self-promotion ratio of your account that is required for some subreddits. So when I make a post in a smaller subreddit, I have to do nine other posts in order to do a, one in a big one again. I don't post in smaller ones too often. My teammates sometimes do. They have their specific subreddits where they go post. Is there a specific tone that you use for the Reddit title. In my impression, a lot of more personal, relatable stories are more popular on any platform, but especially also on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Agreed. They have to see that you're a human being that worked hard to get to this point, so they will appreciate you. Or that you did something really wholesome. They also appreciate that a lot. Lately, we've been into TikTok. <laughs> yeah. So... We started the TikTok two months ago and it already has more followers than our Twitter account has after five years. So I recommend you get into TikTok now. Every post feels like a lottery ticket because sometimes it just hits big with the algorithm and then it keeps producing new followers over weeks sometimes. Oh, 200 new followers. Why? Oh, my post that did very well. Two weeks ago, got an under, got 50,000 views. So like every, every post you got there might hit it big and might bring in hundreds of followers. And it's not, they have to be the best and most amazing viral posts. In my opinion, on Twitter, it's a little bit like this, but it just feels very random which posts gets a lot of views. Some of our better ones have gotten pretty much nothing and some pretty stupid ones <laughs> have gotten 10,000. So observing other people who started TikTok at around the same time as we did, maybe a month or two longer. And pretty much everybody is at a couple thousand followers now, which is completely different from when you try Twitter or something. 
I'm a big believer in TikTok. <laughs> I think it's a very powerful platform. Every platform tends to get saturated because mm -hmm. people discover they use it a lot and there's so much competition there that it's hard to stand out. And TikTok feels like there's still enough opportunity there to right. have an easier life than on other platforms. Just two years ago or a year ago, I really liked posting on Imager. And nowadays it's gotten a lot more competitive. So I'm rather make another TikTok. <laughs> I heard about the decline of uh, Imager. Mm -hmm. uh, is it overcrowded, particularly with games, you feel? Or is it generally hard to trend on there? I'm not sure what exactly the problem is. It could also be a change in what is counted as upvotes or how different things are shown. I haven't really been very active anymore. I just saw everybody else struggling and TikTok it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we go deeper into TikTok, one last question about Reddit. Have you experimented with Reddit ads as well? That seems to be a new avenue there. Yes, quite a bit. And so far we haven't been able to match the results from Facebook ads. You can't really target as much on Reddit. I think the cost is similar or even a, sometimes a bit cheaper, depends on where exactly you run the ad, but you can only select uh, a specific subreddit or have a very limited amount of settings. Nothing close to when you make a lookalike audience with an existing audience that you have on Facebook, where it's very, very targeted, right? Let's talk uh, a bit more about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> How much time do you invest into TikTok? So we actually hired somebody to run our oh, wow. whole TikTok. And if she's not busy with an event, so just last week she had an event, she posts every two days or something. Because it really feels right now there is there's traffic and we don't know for how much longer and we're just going to get as many lottery tickets as we can. I'm actually sad that we started so late. I, I considered starting already a year ago, but we had no time that we could invest in it. And now we finally managed to hire somebody to do it. And I'm very happy that at least, even if we're a bit late, that we can play the TikTok game now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing TikTok explode and I anticipated that there would be a big opportunity, but still I didn't really use that chance to go deep into it. And I think it's very smart to hire a, a person for that. Mm -hmm. Do you have a company TikTok now? No, we don't. I have my personal account where I sometimes post curious expedition related stuff, mm -hmm. but I haven't succeeded at going viral yet. <laughs> How many posts did you make already? Uh, maybe three, not many. Buy some more lottery tickets. Yes. <laughs> One thing that I heard is It actually makes a very big difference where you are. So if you post from Germany or Switzerland, then it would maybe be a better idea to post in German because the algorithm targets our countries. I think that's a bit stupid. So now we hired our guy that is doing our Facebook ads, Andrew from Rengen Marketing. I can really recommend working with him if you want to test out running ads and he will help us and post our posts from his location in America. We can see if that makes any difference. That's due next week. I think the guys from Pixel Maniacs, did you see what they are doing? 
I had a conversation with them also with Ben Lochmann on the podcast, ah, and he perfect. said a similar thing about the location being important, even where you post from. I don't know how they recognize mm -hmm. where you are exactly, mm -hmm. but they seem to be pretty smart about detecting <laughs> the yes. the source. Yeah, Pixel Maniacs, perfect reference there. So go listen to that podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe you can add some tips for TikTok. Is there any particular type of content that you feel works better than other content or is it truly kind of random for you? I've really seen everything from just in-game captures to in-game captures with voiceovers to just your face to a mix with your face and the video. I think every format can work as long as you use some TikTok features. I think the algorithm likes that. Ah, interesting. What would be a TikTok feature? A filter, for example? Yeah, filter or if you put some stickers, all the kinds of stuff you can do to edit your video in the TikTok app, I think. You don't even have to use your own voice. You can even mm -hmm. do these uh, voiceovers. And those mm -hmm. also seem to be pretty popular. Yeah, totally. And again, I perceive... TikToks or videos, posts, I don't know what the short form is for a single TikTok. Mm -hmm. I perceive them to be particularly powerful if, if it tells a personal story or something that's relatable. Mm -hmm. For example, a game developer that talks about how much fun they had during development or also about their struggle during mm -hmm. the development. These very personal insights. Agreed. We're currently also trying to set up a pipeline where we can repost the TikTok onto YouTube Shorts and into Instagram Reels. So we can use TikTok as the main posting thing, but also get some additional traffic on the other platforms. And then you reuse them in a way that you don't have the TikTok branding on the video, I assume, because that's that, what I see a lot yeah. on Instagram Reels. That would be the idea, yeah. <laughs> There are so many channels. We also saw, you mentioned uh, Nine Gag. Is that still <laughs> something you are doing? Yeah, we try, but we only managed to get into Hot once. And this was our biggest post, even bigger than the Reddit posts. Even though you cannot even put a link in there, people are still manually looking up your game and it has such a gigantic reach. They have become quite a bit more strict about ads. So... If too many people are like, nope, this is an ad, then moderators are going to come and remove your post. I've also seen a very big one from Grime lately that uh, the game was released lately and some other ones. So it's definitely still possible, but it's pretty hard to get into HOT. So you can try, but yeah, if you don't have time for, for anything, then maybe hmm, just repost whatever you post on other um, channels and don't try to make a separate post for it because chances that it will hit are very small. But actually, I have to say, I've been very, very lazy with social media this whole year. Do you want to hear what what I was up to this year other than social media? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please tell us. So pretty much all my marketing time this year was spent on event management Because there's so many opportunities right now. You don't have to fly around the world. You can just sign up for showcases and awards. Everything is online. I stalked Steam for the past three years and made a list of things that I think will get a featuring. And then this year, I just kept stalking them all and applied 
everywhere so much and we got into so many showcases and whatnot that my team actually told me, okay, stop. You are not allowed to sign us up for any more of these. We actually have to make a game. <laughs> and so I'm currently on event break. I'm only allowed to submit to events where none of my team members have to do anything. So things where you have to submit the trailer, the escapist showcase or the mix showcase are a no-no now for me. <laughs> and it sucks because there's so many opportunities going on still. And a lot of them are still getting featured. So if I were you and I had a trailer that hasn't been shown, I would definitely apply to all of these fancy events. Mm -hmm. And apply there with the same trailer, basically. Yeah, just when you have something that hasn't really been shown, apply mm -hmm. there. If you have a new trailer now, maybe before you post, just post it on YouTube, sign up for those because a game reveal and a, a new trailer have the highest chance to actually get you in there. I also tried to apply with a developer interview, but there's also some cool smaller things. There was just a roguelike sale going on on Steam and I had no idea about it and I'm very sad. So now I immediately wrote them a, a message and asked if I can still join. They said no, but sometimes this works and I just signed up for their newsletter now so that I will definitely not miss it next year. The tiny teams event that was on Steam is also something that smaller teams should absolutely all have had applied for. For example, we participated in PAX East, I think, and PAX Australia with our games. And it usually costs a couple hundred dollars and it always brings us at least a couple hundred, usually two or three thousand wishlists. And we're now at 170,000 wishlists. I would say 100,000 wishlists are from events. E3 was by far the biggest one with 40,000 or something. So that's crazy. That's a level that we never were able to reach before. And I think this time also we were only able to reach it because it was remote. Yeah. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have uh, attended and got this slot. True. Yeah, because going on a real event trip, it's very exhausting. So uh, using mm -hmm. these, this situation to your benefit is smart. And I think, especially if you do a Steam-related event, mm -hmm. the attribution is pretty easy because you can directly tell this wishlist came from this event. And that's much harder, I assume, when mm -hmm. you go viral on TikTok or 9gag, as you mentioned. Yeah, especially if you have multiple things going on at the same time. So put your energy into event marketing. Go for it. As long as we still can do it. Or hopefully they will keep hybrid formats and we can keep doing this for a long time. Agreed. And I noticed you had a particularly special Steam event built around Swiss games. Mm -hmm. How involved were you in this event? And do you know anything about how it came together? Yep, I organized it. I noticed that Steam was giving people beta access to this new sales tool. And I was, I'm going to get beta access. And I got beta access and I'm like, could we maybe do a Swiss game sale now? I already have the beta tool and I know how it works. And I asked five other bigger Swiss studios if they would participate. And then I told Steam that these studios already said yes. And if you have Farming Simulator, you <laughs> have Steam. <laughs> and after they approved it, we tried to reach every single Swiss developer out there who has a Steam game and just added them in different tiers. And 
for many of them, it was the most wish list they ever got from anything. So that was very cool. And it also had a very good connection event on the Swiss community because we had to join a Discord so we could coordinate with each other. Yeah, I think every country should do it. And a lot of countries have been doing it uh, recently. So that's good. And not just countries, also even collectives. Mm -hmm. We also had another nature game sale two months ago. So that was the second one. We had another one two years ago that we curated with the people from our old nature collective. It's usually a very good idea to grab a couple developers with a shared theme. And if you can even attach it to a special day, like World Environment Day or something, Steam is usually, I think, pretty open to hearing your pitches. Nice. Yeah, that's some really good insights. And is this using the beta sales tool that you mentioned? Is that related mm -hmm. to that? Yeah, exactly. So all the sales are made with this tool. I'm not sure if it's still in beta. That was one and a half years ago. So I think I was maybe one of the first people who signed up for that and tried it out, which I think got us the opportunity in the first place because Switzerland is not the biggest country. So that was cool. I think nowadays, if you just contact Steam, usually I think you can get access to the tool. Mm -hmm. I think we put, uh, touched on a lot of different channels. Uh, I think there was a lot of uh, takeaways and inspiration for people. Let's talk about the one last social channel, which is kind of a old classic, but maybe has gotten a bit yeah, less exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. That is Twitter. Do yeah. you feel Twitter is still relevant? Do you, everybody should have a Twitter account as a game developer or what are your thoughts? I think Twitter is very, very useful for networking with other game developers. So pretty much everybody has one and a lot of people have their DMs open. And I feel that I'm getting more responses from Twitter direct messages than from emails. And we are also still, as a studio, we're updating Twitter. We have a couple thousand followers that want to hear from us. But even with some pretty big semi-viral posts, we haven't gotten that many new followers. So <clears throat> I'm not really sure if Twitter is, in order to stay, in order to find new fans that are gamers and not game developers, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the number one tool I would invest my energy in currently. Last question. Are there certain resources that you would recommend somebody to check out if they are interested in this whole topic of game marketing and how to get more insights? So there is two guys. It's Simon and Chris. You've probably heard of them. Both of them uh, run a pretty cool newsletter where they do analytics and just general marketing observations. Simon also has a paid newsletter that I subscribe to that I always find very interesting. They have a tool that tries to predict how successful a game will be on Steam when it launches. They also analyze switch charts, which is also interesting for us. Other than that, I just hang out on Twitter. See, there's Twitter again. And sometimes I come across some very interesting threads of other game marketing people where I find some cool infos. Yeah, I will link the, the newsletters you mentioned in the show notes. One is called howtomarketagame.com by Chris Zukowski. And the other one is Game Discover, 
which is the newsletter by Simon. Super interesting insights. And I'm also signed up to his paid newsletter. And see, uh, see? I think it's worth it. <laughs> and another thing is just observing what our people are doing. So you can stalk other people on SteamDB where you can track their follower number. I actually built a tool. So our tool developer built a tool for me where I can say, okay, I want to stalk this and this and this and this and this game. And if they get more than this and this and this amount of followers um, from one day to the next, it sends me a mail <laughs> <laughs> and then I can go ask. So I'm going to definitely stalk you also. And then you will receive emails from me when you get a lot of wish lists, because I will know. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope you reach out to us. You have a reason to reach out. That's, that's then the good sign. That was pretty easy. It's just a simple crawler. I think it took him a day or something or two days um, to set it up. I feel the Steam ecosystem uh, in terms of analytics, it's, it's pretty interesting. I have a blog post on the Codex.io page and there are really a lot of websites that aggregate mm -hmm. data from Steam. So that's definitely should be something that everybody does as part of their game development job is to dig into those analytics and use the numbers that are out there to analyze what's a good price point, what are successful genres, mm -hmm. what are successful or interesting territories and so on. Yeah, because it's really true, in my opinion, that the game you make will just have such a huge impact of how easy your marketing will be. I just saw it now with... Uh, The Wandering Village compared to our other games, I feel like the marketing is doing itself. I'm just assisting a little bit. And when I had to really put in a lot of effort and make a lot of posts with our previous games, The Wandering Village takes one and it's more successful than 10 posts of the previous games or something. If you can really find a game that you like and want to make, but it's also something that people are actually interested in, your life is going to be so much easier if you're trying to make a living out of being a game developer. <laughs> Then it's also more fulfilling, more motivating to work on such a game. Yeah. Right. I've, that's something I noticed about all of your games is that they have a really nice hook and are really readable. I guess niche was probably the most challenging in terms of explaining what the gameplay is, mm -hmm. but the, the setting itself and the hook of it, I felt was super understandable and approachable. Mm -hmm. And that's something I feel it's an area that a lot of game developers struggle with making a game that's kind of easy to explain why people should care about it. Either you make something that is better than everything else you are, you are inspired by, or you make something new that people can understand why they should absolutely play it. Agreed. Cool. That's all I have <laughs> well, today. Thanks a lot. The, the, those were a lot of uh, interesting insights. I think uh, a lot of inspiration there and homework for people to take away. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for being so open and opening up your, your knowledge for all of us to, to benefit. Sure. Always. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. See you soon. That concludes the interview with Philomena. This podcast is powered by Codex, our playful project management and community building tool. You can find it at codex.io 
and it's the right choice for you if you're a game developer that wants to build a fan community while working on your game. Use the URL codex.io slash podcasts to get extra credits. For feedback about this episode or guest recommendations, please send an email to podcast at codex.io. Thanks for listening and until next time.